If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Exodus, uh, we are in a sermon series entitled For the Rescue of Us All. And what we're doing is we're looking at some themes of how God rescues his people. Uh, we could see them all the way back in the book of Exodus as he took his people from slavery in Egypt and he, he led them to the promised land. And as we look at these themes, what we're going to find is this, is that God usually acts in a certain pattern. Uh, and we can see that pattern being repeated through history, his grace and mercy and how he rescues sinners like us. We're going to be in two passages today in Exodus. Uh, it's going to be, again, we're going to read a wonderful chunk of God's scripture. We're going to be in Exodus 6, and we're going to be in Exodus 12 and talk about this Passover lamb. But I want to start by telling you of one of the most beautiful places in all of the world that I have had the privilege of going to. It's a place called St. Bernard Pass, and it's nestled in the Alps between Switzerland and Italy. And it is absolutely one of the most gorgeous places I've ever been. And we arrived there on this like majestic summer day. And as you're driving up to the St. Bernard Pass, I'm telling you the sky was bluer than blue. I've never seen blue that color. And maybe it was the altitude, and maybe it was the, the being in the Alps. I don't know. But once you got up to the St. Bernard Pass, I promise you, almost felt like you reach out and touch the blue. I mean, it was just this glorious vista of God's glory. It was incredible. And although it was summertime, there was still snow around. You were that high up, and you know, here it is. It's like a 60-degree day and this beautiful sunshine, and yet you see these huge snow banks. You can go make snowballs and think, this is like perfect for an upstate New Yorker. I love this stuff. And it was, uh, St. Bernard's Pass has got a great history. It's actually that there's history that, that men and, and women have used this pass uh, to go from Italy to Switzerland since the Bronze Age, uh, whenever that was. But really, uh, it was back in the 1600s that it started to get some fame because they placed a monastery up there. Um, it's just, you know, it's kind of interesting where you put monasteries, right? We want to be close to God. We want to be up in the heavens, you know. We want to wake up and we want to have the most beautiful view that reminds us of the most amazing creator. And so they built a monastery in the St. Bernard's Pass. These were not dumb monks. These were smart monks who just think, wow, if we want to be close to God, let's go there. Uh, so what an amazing place, so close uh, to feeling God's presence. But it was St. Bernard. It was named for one of the... Uh, uh, saints there. Uh, I don't know much about St. Bernard. That's not my tradition. Uh, but what it became known for, which is really cool, is the St. Bernard dog. Uh, the St. Bernard's dog would become famous in this pass because these St. Bernard dogs were used for rescue. Uh, they would train them. They would use them for rescue. They would go down uh, the pass to look for uh, the visitors or, or travelers that have gotten lost or snowed in or whatever. And the rumor has it, legend will tell us that they had barrels that they would put on these dogs. Anybody know what is in the barrels, supposedly? Booze. Brandy barrels, right? You can't, hey, come here, boy. <laughs> What's in your barrel, right? Uh, so, by the way, if you're lost and you're cold, do not drink alcohol, right? I mean, we've come to realize that that's going to lead to faster hypothermia and bad things for you. Uh, but... I guess if they're going out, they're going to go out feeling good. But supposedly, that is what they were doing. 
Um, so St. Bernard's dog. What an amazing emblem of rescue. Isn't that kind of cool? I mean, you kind of go up there and you just think of a, a beautiful, majestic dog, uh, man's best friend there with a barrel saying, hey, man, I want to come and help you out. Well, for God's people, we too have a symbol of rescue. We too, but it's not a St. Bernard dog. Anybody know what our symbol of rescue is? Yes, it's Jesus. Good answer. Always yell Jesus out. You never go wrong with that. That is a good answer. But it's really one who will point to Jesus. It's a lamb. When you look through Scripture and you want to see a symbol of rescue, you will see the lamb of God. You will see not a dog, but a lamb, a spotless lamb. Again, this morning we're in the third week of our series in this book of Exodus for the rescue of us all. And we see already that, that God rescues his people through a miraculous birth. The whole rescue begins with a miraculous birth. And that miraculous birth of Moses in the book of Exodus. And we've looked at how amazingly similar it was for Moses' birth to be with Jesus' birth. And how in so many ways Moses just pointed to Jesus. was like a shadow of one who was to come. It was incredible. We also realize that God rescues its people by promising to personally deliver them. God would show up in a burning bush to Moses, and he would reveal his name, the great I am. And he says, now Moses, I hear the groans of my people. I see what's happening to them. I remember my promises to them. And he says this, and I'm personally going to go do something about it. I'm personally going to go and rescue my people. And so this is who God is. I mean, God is, is personally involved in rescue. And again, we see the foreshadowing that, that God would so love the world that he personally would send his only begotten son and that through him we would be rescued. And now we're going to see that God rescues his people through the blood of the lamb, of all things that God chooses to use to rescue us. He's going to say, by the way, it's going to be the blood of the lamb is what I'm going to use to rescue my people. We're going to look at three things uh, this morning in God's word. We're going to see God's promise to rescue. It's amazing promise of what he actually promises. We're going to see God's powerful plagues for rescue, the plagues that God used to rescue his people. And we're going to see God's provision of a Passover lamb. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you in the pew. You can follow along there. Or you could follow along with me. The words will be on the screen. And again, this morning, we're going to take a big chunk of Scripture. The story is so good. So I'm going to ask you to try to really lean in. Because I know I've been there. When someone reads for a long time, it's easy to start doing your, your, your checklist for things later or check out. Let me encourage you, lean in. This is God's amazing story. Of all the things that are going to be said this morning, this is the only one that's perfect. Because this is God's word. may not be read perfectly, but this is God's holy and errant word. So let's hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to begin in the book of Exodus, chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Then we're going to skip over to, to, to Exodus 12. Hear the word of the Lord, Exodus 6. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses, and he said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
As God Almighty, El Shaddai, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land that I swore to, to, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Let's turn to chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, the beginning. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and the lintel that goes above on the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head and its legs and its inner parts. And you should let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, probably standing up, by the way, and you shall eat in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all of their gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Let's go to verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. 
And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did as the Lord had commanded them, Moses and, the, uh, uh, and Aaron, so they did. 29, at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborns of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians and there was a great cry in Egypt, I bet there was. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone. And by the way, and bless me also. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, what an incredible story. What an incredible story of rescue. What is clear is that, God, you've got to come with the power of your spirit and broke through a broken, speak through a broken sinner like me to help us understand what does this story mean for us? Oh God, would you give us ears to hear and hearts to respond, minds to understand. For the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor, we pray. Amen. The first thing we're going to see in Exodus chapter 6 is this incredible God-sized promise to rescue his people. Did you see the verbiage? Did you understand that God personally was going to say, hey, I'm going to rescue you. And the promise of rescue is amazing. Back in chapter 6, 6, he says again, I will deliver you from slavery. This is God himself saying, I see it. I know it's happening. I'm aware of it. And I'm personally going to get involved. The great I am. I will deliver you from slavery. Now remember, God's people have been slaved for like 400 years. It seems like God's promises were so far away. It might even thought, has God forgotten? Where is God? What is God doing? And yet God will always keep his promises. And his promises are true. God saw, he heard their groaning, even when it's inarticulate, saw their affliction, and he remembered his covenant promise. Hit pause. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what's going on. But I know we've all had some valleys and we've all had some mountaintops. And I know that all of us, there's times that life gets dark. And there's times it feels less than 400 years, but might feel like 400 years. That God has been left the building, so to speak. But that's not who God is. God remembers his promises. God delivers his people. And he never fails. God still promises to deliver us. Whatever you're in, God says, it's not too big for me. And I could do it. Not only does he promise to deliver his people from, from slavery, he says this, I will take you to be my people. I mean, I love the fact, if he just said, hey, I'm going to release you from slavery, thank you very much and give you a new start. But no, 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 
our God's grace is so much richer, so much better. He says, not only am I going to deliver you from slavery, I'm going to make you my own. I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to love you. I'm going I'm to put my name upon you. God promises to take the Israelites as his people. Now, what we got to realize is God is God. He already owns it all, right? I mean, there's nothing that God doesn't own. And everyone owes to him worship and love and praise, but our sin has led us astray. But he makes this covenant promise, this special relationship with his people of all the earth. He says, but, but these are mine. These are my treasure. These are my peculiar possession. I love them in a unique way that I love no one else. And you know that God still makes us his people? God's grace through faith, he still says, you're uniquely mine. Oh, the joy of knowing that I am uh, the, the beloved of my great God who's created all things because of the blood of the Lamb and what Christ has done. So he promises to deliver us from slavery, and he promises us to make us his own. But he says more, and I promise I'll bring you to the land of promise, 6-8, a land that he had promised some 400 years ago to a guy named Abraham. Abraham, uh, he came to a man of faith, uh, he came to him and says, hey, Abraham, by the way, I know you have no kids and you're really old and your, your wife is really old, and, but through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations. Abraham, I'm going to give you more descendants than the stars in the sky. Abraham, I'm, I'm going to give you an incredible name. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to give you a land. Man, how incredible that he promised, and that was some 400 years ago. But God keeps his promise. He says, by the way, the God's people are going to wander 40 years in, in, the, in the desert, grumbling all the way until they can get there. God had some more lessons to learn. But God's promises are true. God still leads his people to the land of promise. I know that many of us feel like we're in the desert. Many of us feel like we've been in the desert for a really long time. And many of us feel like, man, we're eating that same manna over and over again. Please, Lord, show up with power. But I can promise you, if you are his, you're headed home. And God doesn't lose any of his sheep. So this is incredible. God's promise of rescue. And then, how does God choose to rescue his people? It's beautiful. He chooses these plagues, God's powerful plagues for rescue. So God sees what's happening. He says, okay, I'm personally going to get involved in this. I'm going to do something here amazingly mighty. I'm going to send 10 plagues on the Egyptians. And I'm going to show them that I am all-powerful, mighty God, and these are my people. And by the way, I'm going to make sure that they don't miss any of the plagues. Then I'm going to harden the heart of Pharaoh to make sure he sees my full wrath and my full strength and my full glory. And so God is going to send these plagues, God's powerful art stretched arm, Scripture says, God's powerful act of judgment. Let's look at God's powerful outstretched arm. I mean, I love reading this when it says, God, through his outstretched arm, is going to do I just kind of picture him flexing. You want to see what I could do? I mean, again, uh, I am almighty, all-powerful. And as he flexes his arm, what does he do in the plagues? Well, he reveals his power over creation. It's incredible. This is a God who has power. He could speak, and the mighty Nile becomes blood. He could speak, and frogs are everywhere. I mean, they're everywhere. You can't get them out of your house. They're in your pots. They're in your oven. They're everywhere. He can speak in gnats. Oh, my goodness. You can't, can't even see there's so many gnats. 
He, he could speak and, and the livestock could be destroyed by, by hail. Um, he could speak and locusts can come. He could speak and the light will become dark. He is God over all creation. Our God is able to do anything. God Almighty. He shows his power over creation, but he also shows his power over Pharaoh. At the time, the most powerful man in the world is right there. But God says, you think you're the king of kings and the Lord of lords? No, 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 not even close. Let me show you who the all-powerful one is, the almighty one is. It is me, the great I am. He shows his power over Pharaoh. But you can't miss what he really also does. As you study this scripture, you open it up and you look a little deeper. What God is doing, the powerful of God is this, is the power over the Egyptian gods. God is mocking the Egyptians' gods. He's humiliating them. Now, now the Egyptians were, uh, they would worship multiple gods. Um, They would uh, uh, have many gods that they worshipped. One of the biggest gods that they worshipped, the most powerful, was the god of the Nile. They felt like this is the Nile. This is ours. This is our life. This is our identity. This is our substance. So God would take that mighty Nile and turn it into blood. I got control over your gods. God would take the God of the harvest. And by the way, I'm going to destroy your landscape or your, your, uh, your livestock and your harvest with hail. God is the God. They would worship the sun. He says, like, oh, you worship the sun? I'm going to turn it to darkness. Uh, God, they, they, they would actually, the Egyptians worshiped frogs. Who worships frogs? I hate frogs. I'm terrified of frogs. It's a family thing. But he says, I'm going to show judgment over them as well. So God says, I'm going to reveal my power over creation, over Pharaoh, and even their gods. Nothing is like me. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going on, God's going to say, nothing is as powerful. I'm the great I am. I can do all things. The power over that. It's not only that, we see God's powerful acts of judgment. So what is he really doing? Look, look at verse 12, 12 again. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I'm the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring judgment to them. Num- Numbers 33, 4 repeats that. While the Egyptians were burying all the firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them, on their gods also the Lord executed judgment. We read the story and you can miss the beauty, the depth of what God was doing. The great I am, powerful God over all things. Then we see God's provision. So God's powerful plagues that would free us or free God's people and God's provision of a Passover lamb. The first thing I want to talk about is the necessity of a lamb. Why a lamb? Why did God tell his people, by the way, I want you to go sacrifice a lamb. Uh, I want you to put some blood on the door to avoid my judgment. Why why a lamb? Do you think that God needed to make sure that he knew whose house were his people, that he somehow didn't know his people from the rest of the Egyptians? Well, no, 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 because the story tells us, it's beautiful, that the Egyptians, they had 10 plagues, and the first three plagues, both the Egyptians and the Israelites suffered through. Point being this, as Christians, we suffer too, don't we? Just like the world suffers. There's some things the Lord doesn't distinguish for us. We go through cancer. We go through COVID. We go through the brokenness of this world. Those things come to us as well. 
But do you know that the last six plagues, he says, no, 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 I'm going to separate my people in Goshen. The light is going to shine on them. It's going to be dark in Egypt. There's going to be plagues that hit Egypt, but I want you to make sure that my people are going to be safe and sound. So why now? Why does God say, hey, take a lamb and put some blood all over their door? Because it was necessary. Because God's wrath was coming to town. And God was coming to town with wrath because of sin. And the Egyptians were sinners. So were the Israelites. <laughs> so are we. I mean, we all are sinners for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There's not one person who could stand in the judgment of God. Not one of us. Not one of us is good enough. A sacrifice is needed. There needs to be the necessity of one who was going to be maybe a substitute for us. And that's what God has provided, a substitute atonement. You see this, this incredible theological truth. And we see all the way through Scripture, when Adam and Eve sinned, God had a sacrifice. He made clothes out of a sacrifice. We see throughout Scripture, you sin, there's got to be a sacrifice. There's got to be a payment. Either you pay it, or there has to be a substitute. And the only way to stand in God's judgment is through a sacrifice. Something had to die. Let me just say this very clearly. Something died in everyone's household. For the Egyptians, it was their firstborn. What agony. For the Israelites, it was a lamb. But there wasn't a house where there wasn't death. The quality of the lamb. Not only the necessity of the lamb, the quality of the lamb. He says in verse 5, Your lamb, by the way, should be without blemish, a male, a year old. You can take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lamb at twilight. Okay, it's got to make sure it's a special lamb. It can't have a spot or a blemish on it. And you, by the way, they picked the lamb out on the 10th day and they sacrificed it on the 14th day. This was a family lamb. I was just up in North Carolina and kind of in the middle of nowhere. And on one of those remote roads, there was a house and there was a little pen and there was a turkey inside the pen. A pretty big turkey. I want to let that bad boy out. Because I know what was coming, right? I mean, they, 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 they had that fattened thing. They were getting ready for a sacrifice. And every time, I imagine their kids run out and say, Hey, Mom and Dad, what's the turkey doing in there in the pen? No worries. Uh, you know, just, hey, it's a nice little celebration coming up here. And I just picture the kids. Go pick a lamb out. One that you're going to sacrifice. Family lamb. One near and dear, spotless. Not, don't, don't, don't give God your leftovers. No, no, that never goes well. you got to give God your best. This is a sacrifice. Look for the one without a blemish. Look for the one that is the most near and dear to you. That's the quality of the lamb that he wants. And then there's the blood of the lamb. In verse 13 he says, The blood shall be a sign for you, on the houses where you are, and when I, when and God says, when I see the blood, isn't that interesting? God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you. The destroyer is coming, but God sees the blood when I strike the land of Egypt. Blood is a sign. It's a sign that points to something. God will see the blood, and he will pass over. No plague will fall on his people. Scripture tells us something interesting. 
God can't forgive our sins without the shedding of blood. That's who God is. He's holy. Many people think God says, hey, listen, I'm going to judge you a good and a bad, and I'll just say no big deal, and I'll just, if, if you sin, you messed up, no big deal. I'll just kind of forget about it. God can't because he's a God of justice. Every one of your sins and mine are going to have to be paid for. Every one of them. Either you're going to pay for them or a substitute will pay for them. And this is the power of the blood. Leviticus 17, 11 is going to say, listen, there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. That's the whole atonement. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament in 19.22 says this, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So we need a sacrifice. We need a spotless lamb. There needs to be a shedding of blood, ours or another's. But I want to point out something else in this passage. The amazing faith of God's people. They had faith. These were God's people with faith. They had faith. They obeyed the instructions of the Lord. Think of how odd these instructions sounded. By the way, I'm going to come. I'm going to wipe out the firstborn. I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to sacrifice it. I want you to take the blood, and I want you to put it on the door post and the lentil. Okay. That sounds normal. What do you guys think? Is this good? Is this a good idea? Has God got a good idea? I mean, they must have thought, are you kidding me? This is what's going to save us from God's wrath. But in faith, they did it. They had faith that God had provided a lamb. The book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, is a hall of fame of faith. Remember, the people in the Old Testament and the New Testament were all saved by God's grace through faith. There's no distinction. And Hebrews 11, in verse 23, it starts talking about Moses. It says, By faith, when Moses was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not, they were afraid, they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ, I love the fact that Christ is mentioned there, uh, greater, wealth, greater than the wealth and the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for a greater reward. Now listen to verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king Pharaoh, he endured as seeing him who was invisible, the greater king. But by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This was done by faith. Do you have faith? Faith in Christ. Okay, let's land the plane, but let's make this thing home. Cool story, right? But you know what the story's about, don't you? You know it's about... Let's get a point to Jesus. This is nothing but a shadow. Christ, our Passover lamb. Do you know the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 7? I got goosebumps just telling you that. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The true sacrificial lamb of God. The true Passover lamb of God. And by the way, when was Christ sacrificed? Oh, it was during the Passover feast. Whoa. How amazing. In the Gospel of John, we see John the Baptist who would watch Jesus and he would say these amazing words. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is God's true Lamb. This is the one who takes away our sin. This is the spotless Lamb of God who ransoms us, purchases us with his blood, Listen to the way Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. 
knowing that you and I were not ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold. He's saying, listen, God has made you his own, and he didn't just use silver and gold to get you. He says this, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You and I are rescued by the blood of the lamb of Christ Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Just like he promised. Jesus delivers us from slavery. We're free. Slavery of sin and death, we owe nothing more to God's law. John 8, 36 says this, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What are we freed from? We're freed from the penalty of sin because he paid it all on the cross. We are freed from the power of sin. For the first time, we have the ability by God's grace, empowered by his Spirit, to live for him. And one day we will be freed from the presence of sin and glorification never to be able to even sin again. Jesus delivers us from slavery. Jesus takes us to be his beloved people, purchased with his own blood. Jesus leads us to the promised land as well. He is the one who was gone before us and the one who was with us. Up in the upper room in John chapter 14, when Jesus says, hey, I'm laying my life down for you, he says this, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would not have told you this, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you where I am. And where I am, you may also be. You see, Jesus' death is the death that we all deserve, but he received God's wrath. He died a death so that we could live, so that we could be adopted, and so we could be led home. And he's going to lead us home. We're not there yet. But you know what? Not one of the sheep's going to get lost. I mean, we might stray. We all do. But at the end of the day, he is a savior who rescues us. He's a savior who makes us his own. And he's a savior who leads us home. That whole Exodus story pointed to him. And what's our response? It's like Moses. Faith. Have you placed your faith in God's Passover lamb, Christ Jesus? I mean, have you, have you come to the place where you say, that is my Lord and Savior. God has provided for me a lamb of rescue. It's his own begotten son, and his name is Jesus, and he's my Lord and Savior. And because of him, I'm forgiven and free. Have you placed your faith in God's Passover lamb, Christ Jesus? For God so loved the world that he would give his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? Let's pray. And Father, it's, you're the best storyteller there ever was. And what makes your story so wonderful and beautiful, it's true. These were true events that happened in Egypt. These were true events that happened with your people. These were true events of rescue at a time that happened so long ago. That the blood of the lamb was powerful enough that you would see it and pass over your people, pass over the judgment upon them. 
and adopt them as your own. Oh, Father God, we thank you for the reality of that story back then. But God, more importantly, we thank you that what that story pointed to, the ultimate Passover lamb, Jesus, your son. And through his shed blood, we can be forgiven and free. And we can be made yours. Oh God, that is an incredible grace and mercy that you've given to us. Jesus, thank you for your righteous life, your atoning death. Thank you for your resurrection, and that gives us life and life abundantly. God, I pray for anybody here who's either watching online or here that doesn't know Christ Jesus personally as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they would embrace that greatest gift. And for all of us, wherever we find ourselves in the desert longing for home, remind us that you're with us and for us, and that you will lead us home one day. We pray in Christ's name.